welcome everybody to the Big News in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug, joined only by my co-host Bug. Doug is not with us still, but I must say, Bug right now is enjoying his first ever pecan pie. What do you think, man? This is live reaction moment. So, I was skeptical until I actually cut the uh, plastic film off of it. And I knew it was probably going to be sticky because it's there's a lot of melted sugar in here. Oh yeah. And when I was when I was pulling the uh, the plastic off, it got on my fingers. Obviously, I'm like, well, I'm just going to lick it off. And I've been pretty excited ever since. And I got to say, <laughs> I've been sleeping on pecan pie big time. Thank the Lord above. We have a convert, ladies and gentlemen. So with that, we're gonna give Bug a moment before we get into the rest of the episode. But man, that is. That's good it's news a, for me. It's a I big W for you to start the week, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, bye as always, W, man. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Welcome to the podcast, folks. So I finally got a bug on pecan pie. Very happy about this. Great start to my week, as you said. You know who's great? whose week has not started off great is Lamar Jackson. Apparently, out a couple of practices. Uh... Not COVID though, right? Not COVID, which is is good, and it you definitely got to be hopeful that it's not going to affect the game this week because I think with Lamar in the game, you have potentially a game of the year. Honestly, if if everything goes right for Chicago too, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it right now because another guy in the news right now is Justin Fields. What do you got for us, man? So. I'm gonna play a clip here, and I hope the uh, I hope the sound quality is good. I hope it's not uh, you know I hope it's I hope it's easy to understand. But today, Thursday on the NFL Carousel, go find it on our Facebook page. Um, Fantasy and Flavors is where it's uh, originally broadcast on Facebook. Uh, I talked a little bit about Justin Fields and. Caught me off guard a little bit. If you ever watch the carousel, and you'll see it if you watch this episode, it's two fans talking about why their team is going to beat the other fans' team. For one reason or another, weren't able to get a Ravens guy on this week, and you know I got thrown the questions. What you know? What do you think about uh, about Justin Fields, and what do you think about Lamar Jackson, and how they've been going this this year so far? <laughs> so again, caught a little bit off guard, but I said something that. Even I really kind of just blurted out, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? I think this actually makes some sense. So we'll play it for us here and just take a listen. Getting to a point where I don't want to say he's outgrowing Nagy, but I know that now, if now, you were. Now, hold on. That's a very interesting statement that you said there. I'm going to need you to peel back them layers on that one for me now. So Nagy is trying, like, I think Nagy has an idea of what he wants out of a quarterback. The problem is he's trying to fit that into a box. And I think it goes back to when Mitch Trubisky got hurt either. I think it's, it had to be a second season. He runs out the pocket. There's grass, nobody open that he thinks he can get the ball to. And he goes out, hurts his shoulder. After that, Mitch Trubisky really got put into a box. Now, the thing is you put, 
Justin Fields into that same box, I think he's going to do better, and I think he'll become a better quarterback for it. I think that's why they have him behind Dalton. You know, learn a little bit more of the pocket presence, learn a bit, a little bit more about how to get the ball out quicker. Problem is, the Bears still don't have an offensive line capable of doing that, and some of the routes that they run just don't make sense with the with the drop steps or the bootlegs. Right? Is there's just a disconnect? It doesn't seem like everything ever makes sense and that's been an issue for the bears for a few years so i kind of want to open it up and make a discussion out of this because while i kind of i don't know i kind of said it unconsciously i do think there's a lot of merit to it i think matt Nagy has a good idea of what he wants to do he is just horrible at executing anything and i do firmly believe this was not anything that just kind of came out i firmly believe a lot of his issue was when mitchell trubisky got hurt he got scared and again, like I said, I believe Justin Fields can make all the throws. The Bears just simply don't have everything together to put him in a position to, to succeed if they want him to solely be a pocket passer. No, I absolutely agree with that. And we've seen Justin Fields throughout his time in Chicago, as short as it has been, we've already seen instances where when he's allowed to work outside of the pocket, he is more successful. I think a big part of that has been the offensive line issues. At the same time, though, you have to consider that's basically what his skill set was at Ohio State as well. We've seen for the last two years, Ohio State's offensive line is up there with the best in the country. So maybe it's not resolved when Chicago gets a good offensive line. Maybe that's just the style of play that you drafted. You can't coach a guy who does something really well to do it in the exact opposite way and still be as successful. It almost never works. I can't think of any instance where it has ever worked to be able to do that, right? Peyton Manning was never able to run the football successfully. And Russell Wilson needs to be able to get outside the pocket and make some things happen. It's the same thing with Justin Fields, right? You need some mobility in there. Yes, I think you are correct in that it would help him be a better quarterback to learn how to stay in the pocket some, get the ball out quickly. At the same time, you have to understand that's not what he's best at, and it's never been his game. And and I completely agree with that, too, right? I do think there's two ways that you can develop a quarterback. I think you can get them out there and try to get them doing what they're good at, which for Justin Fields is those bootlegs, getting out of the pocket, And even in some cases, like you have him drop back, he can make those throws. But understand, too, that you can't hold him back and say, you can't run the ball. You can't, you need to stay in the pocket and try to make a throw, which definitely happened to Trubisky. It absolutely did. If you go back and watch, especially that season when he comes back from his shoulder injury, he's not allowed out of the pocket, it seems like. I think the intention was good. I think the right idea was there. But you got to know when to kill the plan. And I don't even know that they killed it fast enough. And I don't even know that it's completely killed. There's a lot of things with the Bears right now that, man, a lot hinges on Justin Fields' development. (laughs) And that's scary to say because the defense really needs a lot of work here. It's a very big crossroads for the Bears right now. It just looks like a huge misalignment of priorities. Who really made the decision to draft Justin Fields? Because at this point, it doesn't feel like that was Matt Nagy's decision. And that's that's what's crazy to me is 
Matt Nagy's one of the guys that made sure Patrick Mahomes would get to Kansas City. So I think it's very obvious the type of quarterback he wants. Patrick Mahomes can run when he has to, but I think he is a better pocket passer and more of a pocket passer than people want to give him credit for. The issue is Justin Fields absolutely can do that, but he's not complete in that in any of those departments yet. His strength is getting out of the pocket. Matt Nagy schemed for Mitchell Trubisky to do that. And then once Mitch got hurt, it has been a disaster ever since. And I don't know what is holding him back. I don't know if he's scared of getting another quarterback hurt. The injury is not what ruined Mitchell Trubisky. Right. What happened? The coaching after his injury is what ruined Mitchell Trubisky. And I again, I don't know that Mitch is a Paul star quarterback or a starter anywhere else in the league anyway. I think he could have been better than he was. I think everybody's kind of in agreement on that one right now as well, too. Well, let's go back to what you just said, the first thing you said when I put it back to you. Your head coach right now is part of the reason that Patrick Mahomes is in Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. But the Bears just drafted a guy who's a lot closer to Lamar Jackson than to Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. And the, both of those are capable of winning an MVP. We've seen both of those guys win MVPs, but they won it in extremely different ways. I don't, I don't see Justin Fields as a, either of those guys. I mean, he plays a very different style of football than either of those. And, and that's he the is thing. closer to Lamar Jackson though than he is to Patrick Mahomes. And, and, and that's the thing; he can fit either mold. And I think the argument can be made that if you are more of the pocket passer you're going to have a longer career. I think that's yeah. a fair argument to make. But man, if your strength, if you're better at the other thing, even if it's 1% better, you'd be doing that more, especially with the way this offensive line is is doing this year. They, when they're allowed to let Justin Fields get out of the pocket, they look great. And that's another thing too. You know, we talked about Jason Peters a little bit last episode. He doesn't have, he's got great footwork. He doesn't have the agility anymore. If he doesn't know the pocket's moving because it's, you know, the quarterback moving to try and keep a play alive, he's not a guy that's going to be able to protect anybody. But if he knows the pocket's going to be sliding, he's got the footwork and the technique that he's going to be able to make sure he's not getting killed from a blind side, you know, from halfway across the field, right? I just don't think Nagy understands what he has personnel-wise right now, and I, that's a huge issue. Absolutely agree. I know this has been a very Bears centric start to our podcast here but you know it's a it's a good conversation to have anytime you have a rookie quarterback who seems to be struggling a lot of the times first round guys they have the talent you just need to figure out how to make it work so even with a case of like tim couch right go back that far he was an extremely talented quarterback browns didn't have an offensive line for him right there are other things that can cause those problems i still fully believe in justin fields I know that you do as well, and it just needs to be a couple of changes around him to make this all work. Interesting conversations. I know those need to happen at a much higher pay grade than us. <laughs> I think I think Bears fans believe in Justin Fields, too. They're just frustrated with the way everything has been going down. Uh, whether it's too, man. Yeah, whether, it, whether it's Nagy, whether it's signing Nick Foles and then signing Andy Dalton, and still getting Justin Fields, which is something I, I did legitimately have an issue with. 
I was not upset that we went and got Justin Fields in the draft. I was not upset about that at all. I thought it was a great move. But then I'm sitting there like, man, we got three quarterbacks on this team, and two of them absolutely could be starters, should be starters. And the third one is either Nick Foles or a rookie, right? If you don't, whatever way you want to look at it. So, man, it's, again, try not to be a Bears podcast, but the other reason we're talking about this is there is not a lot of NFL news that we want to talk about. The Antonio Brown thing and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers releasing their statement about their COVID cards. Uh, yeah, just forget it. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Stacy, that's all I really want to say about that. And that's only because the last time he was relevant, he was in a non-NFL pro league, which kind of brings us to the next part of our news here. Yeah, man, you got some great breaking news on the USFL, right? I mean, it's it's breaking. It's awesome. I love seeing this. Nothing really new. There's been a lot of speculation, and Fox Sports has been the leading uh, outlet on this because they do have the TV deal with the USFL, and it's basically just confirmed everything, which is awesome because there's rumors about the NFL expanding. There's been rumors about the USFL. There's rumors about the XFL, the CFL, you name it. If it's football-related, there's been rumors about it this year. Fox News or Fox Sports rather basically confirmed a lot of these rumors and still left a bunch of bunch of questions uh, up in the air. There will be confirmed eight teams in the new USFL. It'll be a North and South division with a ten game schedule. You know, play each other, everybody in the division twice, and then teams in the other division once. Right, pretty pretty simple schedule there. Uh, top two teams in each division will be in the playoffs. It'll just be a semifinal and then a championship game back-to-back weeks the games are going to take place in one location there is no no confirmation here yet but it is looking like it'll be birmingham with most of the games taking place at the new field uh, proactive stadium i don't think that's right I'll, i'll find it here in a second most of the games are going to take place in the new stadium some of them will take place at the old iron lady which i think you know the stadium is not in a good spot but Man, there's something about Legion Field, right? Even if it is a little bit of a dump. Uh, I've heard people say that. I've never been. I've heard people say it a ton. But, man, I I personally love that they are going to still have a couple games there. Uh, Protective Stadium. You know, Protective Stadium. That is the name of the new stadium in Birmingham. Uh, That's kind of the speculation still. Uh, There's still a lot of speculation on when players are going to be coming together, when teams are going to be formed. But if you want to start taking some guesses, it's got to be February, March at the very March at the very latest. Regular season is going to begin around mid-April, confirmed there, run through mid-June, followed by the playoffs. How cool would it be for the USFL to finish, have their championship game around the 4th of July weekend? If they're going to mid-June, you got to figure it's going to be at least cutting it close. How much better would it be to have your championship on the 4th of July in the Liberty Bowl? <laughs> I, I need to go. Hold on. I got to go change my pants real quick. Um, <laughs> Fox Sports, like I said, broadcast partner to the USFL. Games will be played on Saturday and Sunday like we saw the AAF and the XFL do. Uh, and then they'll have some special broadcasts on Fridays and Mondays. It doesn't say what those are going to be. I imagine it's probably just going to be like bonus shows talking about it which will be nice to try and help grow it. I don't know how popular those are going to be. We've seen it with a few different things going, you know, uh, whether it's the WWE or 
uh, a lot of FCF even the content. FCF had yeah. extra content on Twitch like every so often throughout the week. Oh, uh, once once the season's going, it's like every day, and they've been they've been back at it. They've been doing it pretty regularly. Still, again, right? So I don't know how popular those are going to be as opposed to the games, but it's there. It's going to be there for you. Uh, last but not least, Brian Woods, like we talked about, founder of the Spring League. He's co-founder in the new USFL, will serve as president of football operations. And then a three-time Super Bowl champ and former Dallas Cowboys fullback, Daryl Johnson, will serve as executive vice president of football operations. There's going to be some big names uh, around the officiating and uh, business operations as well. Mike Perea, uh, he's Fox Sports. Uh, Mike Perea, yep. Fox Sports analyst for college and pro rules, as well as vice president, former vice president of NFL officiating. I don't know, man. There's there's a lot here. Again, nothing huge breaking. It's all kind of been kind of been out there. It's just great to finally have it on paper and be like, yes, this is actually happening. If you're a fan of spring football, you got to be feeling good about this one, right? I, we've been burned a lot in the past few rounds here once completely out of their control, but I'm feeling really good about the USFL. Certainly looking forward to it and hoping they can survive long enough to expand and get outside of just one city. Be cool to go to USFL game sometime in the future. I I saw that elsewhere too, that that is the plan that this year, they're just going to get off the ground, which I think is going to benefit them in the end. I mean, we saw the FCF do it. And they, I mean, a lot of the reason they had to do it like that was COVID. But man, you can't tell me that. Even so, that was a huge financial benefit to the league. Yeah. Uh, having to pay for all those extra stadiums. So, certainly understand it. Let's see how the USFL does. I know we'll be talking about them when the season's going on in the spring. So, just hang on tight, folks. Got plenty of extra pro leagues to discuss as they happen. Not too much going on in college this week either. I mean, other than what we've already talked about, right? But a couple of things to clear up from the last episode. We had discussed the Virginia Tech job opening. Shane Beamer being a potential replacement there at Virginia Tech. His dad, Frank, was obviously a very big legend at Virginia Tech. Shane Beamer has come out and said he does not want the job. South Carolina is his dream job, which, I mean, Take that for what you will. I don't know that I believe him either. At the same time, he's kind of taken his hat out of the ring for Virginia Tech. I kind of understand where he's coming from, though, have to admit. I don't want to just live in your dad's shadow your whole life, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I've seen guys pass up taking over their parents' company for that reason. It's it's a big legacy to live up to, even, even though, like I said, he probably would be given the same leash. Uh, Kind of like what we're seeing in uh, Nebraska. I, f- I fully expect that that's how he would be treated at Virginia Tech. But I respect the move. I respect not wanting to uh, not wanting to just follow in those shoes there. We had also talked about TCU potentially keeping Jerry Kill, maybe possibly being a landing spot for Justin Fuente. Apparently, they are solely focused on SMU's Sonny Dykes. Interesting move for him if he were to actually do that. I don't know if that would actually be as big of a promotion as it sounds like, right? 
you know, the American to the Big 12. Sure, I understand. At the same time, it feels like SMU is really building something there. I don't know. What do you think about this one? I don't know if Sunday Dykes actually takes it. Yeah, it, it absolutely feels like a lateral move. And then you add to it that SMU is one of those teams that's kicked around a lot to potentially be in that next set of teams going to the Big 12. It's SMU, Memphis, and then throw in two or three other schools pretty consistently. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to leave something when I finally got in this program, SMU, that is so historic, back to a level of prominence that I don't think many people thought was possible, especially in the way college football is currently constructed. He's got them somewhere I don't think anybody really saw it happening. So I I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, if the money's right, I'm sure he'll be forced into making a decision. I know that's certainly possible, but yeah. it's also TCU, so I don't know much, how much money they really have to throw at a coach like that. One school that definitely has that money would be USC. Their leading candidates right now are still Luke Fickle and <laughs> insert lesser candidate here. I really don't buy Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati right now, but at the same time, if he gets offered $10 million a year, how do you say no? And that's that's the game. That's where everything is at is the move as far as job, prominence, profile. I guess it leans a little bit, uh, you know, the other direction as opposed to Cincinnati. I mean, it definitely does, right? But, We're talking about a historic program, way more historic value than Cincinnati has. Talking about his old boss, athletic director at USC, was the guy who hired him at Cincinnati. I mean, we're talking about a lot of legacy there with the Trojans, and we're talking about a wide-open path to the college football playoff, honestly. Pac-12 is not a you know, world-beater conference at the moment. If he can win the Pac-12 with USC, he's in the playoff every year. And that's that's got to be what he's kicking around in his head, too, because the Big 12 is going to take a huge hit losing OU in Texas. We've talked about that hundreds of times. Right. The difference is, though, it's actually pretty similar. You can either bring USC back to prominence, or you can be the guy that leads Cincinnati into this new frontier and into prominence of their own. You know, build a new pathway for a different school, a non-traditional blue blood of college football. And... I don't know which one's more appealing. Obviously, I think it's really going to come down to the money, which would mean USC probably wins this one out in the end. Knowing Luke Fickle's personality, I'm going to basically backtrack everything that I just said. He seems like the kind of guy who would definitely stay. And if the Cincinnati is going to the Big 12, which they are in a couple of years, they will have enough money to make a competitive offer to keep him. No reason that they wouldn't, and no reason that he wouldn't stay based on just who he is. But at the same time, that creates a weird, really weird problem for all of the big jobs, honestly, around the country. I mean, who else is on that list then? Are you really going to be able to pry away a guy like uh, Franklin 
from Penn State, but do you even want to pry away a guy like James Franklin from Penn State after the performance of last year and this year? Do you go for a, maybe a little bit of a lesser name, more like a Matt Campbell or a Dave Aranda? I don't know that either of those guys are as exciting to your fan base. You know, Jay Norvell out of Nevada, it's not really a stepping stone job, USC, or at least it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be like a pinnacle type of job. So maybe that's not the kind of guy you're going after either. There are not too many options for USC, I guess is what I'm getting at here. And if they want to be the program that they think they are, they're really limited here. Same with LSU and probably going to be the same with Miami is how this is headed. I don't see a way that Manny Diaz keeps his job, and Miami thinks they're way better than they are. I I really don't know what's going to happen there. And at LSU, they're talking about trying to pry away Mel Tucker from Michigan State. At the same time, Michigan State's preparing to offer a 10-year, $95 million contract to Mel Tucker. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave that money on the table to stay at a place that loves me. And then, and then you got to look at FSU too, right? I mean, that you know, sticking with the Southeast, ACC, all that, they're underperforming. And right. at some point, I think we're getting into Norvell's third, this is second or third year. At some point, you got to look at it and be like, all right, he's got to be say, I would say he probably has another year. Lost a quarterback, I mean, basically got a quarterback back. Mackenzie Milton, but that's a such a weird story there. That's Not exactly what's down too. Right, right. I mean, so kind of need to give him another year, but there's not much leash left. I agree with you. It's very Same with it's, Florida, really. I mean, goodness. All the all the power five schools in the state of Florida need new head coaches. Let's just say it like it is. Who who's gonna Pry Gus Malzahn away from uh, UCF. Yeah, which one's going to offer him money the fastest? Yeah, that's. I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. Which is a shame too, because he's been sitting there singing the praises of UCF, singing the praises of the Group of Five, and now that he's on the other side. He's like, oh my god, the disrespect. Yeah, dude, <laughs> right. We know. Right. Hey, maybe if he ends up in Florida, maybe they'll actually schedule that home-and-home series. That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Kind of doubt it, but, you know, it'd be be fun. But that's all that's really going on in college right now. Not too much else happening outside of some legal issues for a couple of guys out at, you know, Georgia and Ohio State. don't really like to get into that kind of stuff on the podcast. I like to keep it a little bit lighter here. So, you know what, let's just not. And let's go ahead and jump into our game previews. What do you say? Hey, let's do it, man. So without Tug being able to join us, we do still have his games to watch and players to watch for both college and NFL. Same as earlier in the week, I'll be taking Tug's college game and player. Tug, you take his NFL game and player. Keep things rolling here. So I'll sandwich you. I guess I'll start with... Start with Tug's. Start with Tug's. Okay. This one's a very interesting matchup. And I'm pretty excited for this game, honestly. 
Oregon at Utah. This is this has got to be the best chance for Oregon to lose another regular season game this year at Utah. Now, I will say Oregon has been improving week to week. That's been pretty obvious after that Stanford loss. At the same time, Utah has been improving pretty significantly over the course of the season as well. Look back in time. They started out with starting Charlie Brewer, transfer from Baylor. He was a four-year starter there, wasn't getting any love as an NFL prospect. Then he went to Utah trying to make a name for himself. Threw three touchdowns, three interceptions, got hurt, and quit football. That was all in the course of the first three weeks of the season. They have, since then, been starting a true sophomore, Cameron Rising. Wow, has he been great. 14 touchdowns, two interceptions on the rest of the season for that guy. And they have just been on a tear since losing in three overtimes to San Diego State in week three. They started one and two, right? They're seven and three. They're looking fantastic. They've been playing very well. It's at Utah. This game would clinch the division for Utah. And, man, I, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this should be a fantastic game. I think it will be. And like you said, with the way Utah started the year, definitely not something we thought was going to happen. So you can't help but be a little excited for this one. I do think it's kind of funny that Tug is picking a uh, Pac-12 game when he has said so many times how he doesn't watch the Pac-12. But, hey, you know. Props to him. Maybe he's gonna maybe he's gonna expand his horizons here a little bit and actually give this him a one, shot. This one starts at seven thirty Eastern, so he'll have the time if he wants to. <laughs> uh, the reason I wanted you to go there first is because we have a BDT first. Uh, we're gonna be at both of our games that we're picking, and uh, I'll start us off here so you can end on a high note with your game and. <laughs> My game to watch is going to be Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. As I mentioned, I'll be at this game, uh, be with my family. So I'm looking forward to it. I wonder if I'm going to be able to make it past halftime because it's going to be pretty cold in Lubbock this week with two, with uh, three kids and one of them being only two months old. Might have to call it early, but I'm looking forward to this. Uh, going to Texas Tech, this will only be like the third college football stadium I've been to. And uh, one of those stadiums doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, it's it's going to be an experience. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Oklahoma State play. What time is that game? 6 p.m. Central. Oof. Yeah, because yeah. there's a high of 80 with a low of 45. So. Yeah, we're, we're going to be we're gonna be feeling that low. And if there's any wind, as there tends to be in the high plains, it's going to be yeah. uh, awful. <laughs> That's what the plains and the beginning of the desert does to you, man. That's wild, that temperature swing. I don't mm-hmm. get the temperature swing. I just get straight up cold all day. I'm going to Columbus for Michigan State at Ohio State. This was my birthday present in June was tickets to this game. We did not expect this to be a top 10 matchup at the time. I actually thought that Michigan State was going to suck this year. <laughs> They don't, and uh, this game's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for this. Literally been looking forward to this weekend since the middle of June. So, 
Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> I don't know too much else to add on to that. I'm picking Ohio State to win this game, by the way. And not just because it's a homer pick. I really do believe Ohio State can stop Kenneth Walker the third. And I don't expect the defensive backs to be able to put any clamps on Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. This receiving core is deadly. So, fun fact, Ohio State has never in its history had a season with more than one 1,000-yard receiver. This year, they very well may end up with three. So, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I am picking Ohio State. Also going to take Oklahoma State against this Texas Tech team that really just pulled out a wild upset there against Iowa State. I don't know that anyone saw that happening outside of the radio announcers. Did you hear that story? Uh, I know the radio announcers are allegedly suspended <laughs> by yeah. the uh, by the Big, Big 12, 12 Conference. I, it's <laughs> wild. I don't know how the fuck they're going to enforce that. I think it's just a lot of smoke. I don't think anything's going to come from that. I'm also going to take Utah, though, against Oregon. Uh, I really do think that Oregon is a good team. Just going into Utah, this is another situation. To me, this is another same exact thing as when Michigan State went into West Lafayette. Just a bad environment and a bad week to have this game for them. Utah feels like they should win this game just based on the gravity of it and where it's at. Right? You know, if this were in Oregon this weekend, I'd take Oregon. But it's in Utah, so I'm going with the Utes. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking Oklahoma State because they're just the better team. I don't think there's anything to say there. I have no rooting interest in this game. I just love football. I expect a great atmosphere. Texas Tech seems to always deliver in that. I am going to have to keep my kid from trying to – I really hope our seats aren't anywhere near the student section because if Texas Tech scores, he's going to be crawling on the ground trying to eat those tortillas. It's it's not gonna be it's gonna be it's not gonna be fun to try and keep him from doing that. But I also don't Dude, want to I catch would do anything. that now and I'm not I'm not an infant, so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh I'm also gonna take Ohio State again. This defense has gotten better since week one. And up until uh Ibrahim, right? Mm-hmm. Up until he got hurt, they were containing him fairly well. And Kenneth Walker, nobody really saw coming. That's not to say that he's not as talented as Ibrahim or even better in some ways. I don't think he's going to be able to overcome this improved Buckeyes defense, though. And then Oregon, Utah, man. It's all on you. What you got? Uh, I want Utah to win because I want the chaos that's going to ensue from it. I want to see heads explode because I want to hear them try and justify keeping Cincinnati out of the top four. I, as much as I want Cincinnati in the top four, I want to see them justify keeping them out more so I can laugh in their stupid fucking faces. I don't see it happening, though. I think Oregon's going to win this one. Their next shot at losing is probably going to be in the Pac 12 championship because that game probably is, against Utah again. <laughs> yeah. And that game is always insane. It's always ridiculous. It's always unpredictable. This is not a gambling podcast. We're not good gamblers at all. All right, look at our records in college, right? I'm 17 and 18. Doug's 25 and 10. Maybe take advice from him. Tug's 22 and 13. Less so, but, you know, still 
very, very low Mady take advice from him. Definitely don't take advice from me from the NFL, though. We'll get there in a minute. Hold on. <laughs> the Pac-12 championship game is one game you never want to bet on because you never know what's going to happen, and it very well could be a matchup of this game. And I still would say, I don't know. Yeah, sure, maybe. I'll go with that. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. this time, though, I, I do feel pretty confident taking Oregon. So, Tug is going to take both OSUs and Utah, same as me. Pretty interesting there. I really didn't expect him to take Utah, but I'm excited that he did. I really want Utah to win so badly. It'd be so great. A couple of bonus games for you this week. A little bit lighter than usual. Not that many fantastic games. Everyone's just kind of getting ready for rivalry week next week in the FBS. But one game that you will have already seen happen as you listen to this podcast, Air Force at Nevada should be actually a fantastic game. That's going to happen Friday night. So by the time you hear this podcast, that will have already happened, and you can let me know whether that was good or not. Um, I think it should be pretty good. Air Force's defense is solid, and Nevada's offense is pretty exciting, really getting Jay Norville's name out there as a potential coaching candidate for the Pac-12, just on the offense alone. So... See how this game works out. Wake Forest at Clemson should be pretty solid as well. The top 10 team there is the underdog. You know, same as Oregon, Utah. Actually, the top 10 team is the underdog there. Pretty fascinating. Then Louisiana at Liberty. Just an exciting group of five game for you. You know, Liberty's independent. They're about to join a group of five conference. Same difference. Liberty has been solid the past two years. How much of that is really on Hugh Freeze? How much of that's really on Malik Willis? Nobody knows. Louisiana, though, definitely built up the right way. Billy Napier's got to be in that coaching conversation, too, at some point, or in some Power 5 jobs. Louisiana looking very good this season. Just one loss on the year. Everybody has three losses. We'll see which one proves to be the better team here. Up in Virginia this weekend. Those are all going to be fun games to watch. I'm not going to have a tailgating setup, and I don't know how much I'm going to be able to watch from my house. Louisiana Liberty is definitely one I would want to keep an eye on and check out of the three that we've got highlighted here. FCS games for you as well. Only three of these this week. Villanova at Delaware. Just an interesting Northeast matchup there. Villanova has had its ups and downs, same as Delaware this season, really. But both teams are still in contention for the playoff. Selection Sunday is coming up very soon for the playoff here. Have to see how that works out. Mercer at ETSU. Another huge, important game for that Selection Sunday coming up. No idea who's going to win this one. ETSU has at times looked like a powerhouse and also at times looked very beatable. And Mercer has been pretty consistent, but also consistently decent, not consistently great. So it kind of depends on which ETSU team shows up. You know, probably their last game in their home stadium for the seniors. So I'm expecting the Pirates to play pretty well. I call them the Pirates. They're technically the Buccaneers. You know, same. Same, same. Synonyms. Um, Have the original version of the game Harvard at Yale is this weekend huge rivalry matchup in the Ivy League gotta say both teams are a lot better than I expected them to be this season 
One thing to know about the Ivy League, though, is that they do not participate in the FCS playoff. So this game's kind of for all the marbles right here, right now. Whoever's going to win this one has the bragging rights until next season. Should be a pretty good game. Actually, both teams are playing pretty well, even this late in the season. So fantastic to look out for there. I love rivalry games, too. This is one of the biggest there is. It's so lame that they don't play in the FCS championship. So right. freaking lame. Well, they say it's because you know, it interferes with the finals schedule for the fall semester. And I say... I say you had well, a protest old, at one of your football games last year, so you really don't care that much anyway. I say the old Cardell Jones quote, we didn't come here to play school. <laughs> Beautiful. Let's talk about our players to watch. Again, going to sandwich you here. I'll start with Tugs. He has Travis Dye running back out of Oregon. Pretty good season for him so far. Basically filling in for C.J. Verdell after he went down with an injury. C.J. Verdell was the running back who tore up Ohio State, right? But Travis Dye has come in, almost run for a thousand yards already since then. Six yards of carry, 12 touchdowns. That's pretty fantastic. If you can have your backup come in and dominate the way that he has, that's a pretty good sign for your program. Have to see how Utah is able to contain him, if they are. I'm not sure they will be able to. Travis Dye is pretty fantastic. Definitely going to be a fun one to watch here. I'm going to go with Kobe Harvale Peel. Safety out of Oklahoma State. We've talked about this dude a couple of times. He's third on the team in tackles, first in interceptions, and man, I'm going. I'm, I've been taking so many defensive players. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore, but I do feel <laughs> confident about this guy. It's always nice to see somebody that we talk about preseason uh, on a team that really we had a lot of questions about coming into this year. He's performing well. Team's performing well. I'm excited to see what he's able to do. And, hey, Bears don't have a pick until day three. Maybe they have one pick on day two in the third round. Wouldn't mind seeing him potentially landing on the Bears on this upcoming draft this year. He's one of those players that I've just latched onto as a prospect. I know that's terrible for your theory there, Tug, if you're listening that I should be a scout someday because I really latch on to guys pretty easily. But, man, <laughs> he's one of my favorite day three kind of guys right now. My player to watch, I'm taking the easy road, man. I'm going to Ohio State. I'm taking C.J. Stroud. I haven't done it all year. Give me a break. <laughs> I have a fascinating stat for you, though, which I didn't know a great way to introduce this without taking C.J. Stroud as my player to watch. So. Through the first nine games of the season this year, C.J. Stroud has better passing stats than Justin Fields did all of last year. Last season being COVID year, obviously ended up playing just about nine games the whole year, including that national championship game. But C.J. Stroud has thrown more touchdowns, fewer interceptions, gotten sacked fewer times, I did not expect that at all. The guy has not looked like a freshman. 
And you also have to consider, CJ Stroud sat out a game. He didn't play against Tulsa. That was our backup quarterback. He was resting his shoulder injury. So CJ Stroud has come in, done it in basically one fewer game, better stats all around. I, that's unreal. Absolutely unreal. I am so excited to see where CJ Stroud ends up in probably another year or two at Ohio State. I doubt it. We'll get two years out of him, but next year. <laughs> wow. I have very high hopes for where he's taking the program. CJ Stroud's awesome, man. Love to see it. And you're going to see it all happen live. Gotta love oh, that, dude, right? I'm very happy. <laughs> So now let's jump on over to the NFL and bug your turn to sandwich me. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Again, uh, just because I want to, we're going to start with Tug's game. He's going Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about this one. I don't think it's going to be a bad game. Uh, but what version of these teams is going to show up, right? Seahawks are dealing with some injuries. They already don't have a good offensive line, and they lost a lineman last week. The Cardinals, I think Kyler Murray is going to be sitting out again. That's kind of what the initial reports I've been seeing are. So I don't know how that's going to look. Colt McCoy has looked fine for them. I don't know. Maybe this game is going to end up being closer than I'm giving it credit for just because on the surface, there's a lot for each team to overcome. But there's a lot for each team to overcome. It's not like one team is at more of a disadvantage than the other. So we talked about how the NFC, we had high hopes for the NFC West. So far, it hasn't delivered. Maybe this will be the the point where it starts turning around, particularly for the Seahawks. And maybe the Cardinals start coming back down to earth a little bit more, too. I'm going to take Dallas at Kansas City. Should be two very high-powered offenses here. Maybe not a whole lot of defense being played. But that's all right. We're in Big 12 country here with Dallas, Kansas City. Uh, I'm very fascinated to see if Dak can get it going again. Didn't look all that great last week. And then opposite, kind of for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, wonder if they can keep it going. They didn't look great to start out the year. But last week certainly put on some points. Let's see which offense shows up here. And if either defense is capable of stopping anybody. I don't know that they are. But Dallas, Kansas City should be a pretty high-scoring affair. It's in Kansas City. Should make things interesting there, too. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I don't want to give away your player to watch, but I wanted to take Trayvon Diggs as my player to watch from this game because Kansas City has been getting it going. You're taking a player from this game. I didn't want to take two from the same game. It is what it is. My game is one that we talked about earlier in the week. It's the Washington football team traveling to Carolina. All I really need to say is Cam's back. I will, however, add Cam is back. He's playing against his old coach, Ron Rivera. And how can you not be excited about this game? How can you not be excited about it? Cam Newton's gone out. He's bought 50 tickets for fans that generally wouldn't be able to get into a game for financial reasons or whatever it is. He's all in on being back in Carolina. He wants Bank of America Stadium to be owned by the Panthers again. Apparently, the you know the home atmosphere has been lacking since he left. It's been his first start since the end of the year last year with the Patriots. 
and is back somewhere that he wants to be, and he's very excited to be. I didn't take Cam Newton because Tug did, and I'll talk a little bit more about Cam Newton then, I guess. But, man, this game is going to be about Cam Newton. Let's go ahead and hop into the, our picks, though, here. I think you want to start us off. Yeah, so I'm going with the Panthers. There's just going to be too much for Washington to overcome, even after that great performance they had last week against the Buccaneers. I'm pretty sure that game was in Tampa, too, wasn't it? Yeah. So I, there's definitely, if you wanted to take Washington, definitely reason to do it. I don't see that happening two weeks in a row. And, yeah, playing on the road is tough. Playing on the road is always tough. But this is Cam Newton's return home to Carolina. That's a very different atmosphere than playing the Bucks in a game in the middle of the season, even if it is Tom Brady. Second, I'm going to take Dallas because Trayvon Diggs. I think he's going to be a big X factor in this game. I think both offenses are going to be going great. Trayvon Diggs is an X factor. And, oh, yeah, I have way more faith in Dallas's run game than I do in Kansas City's run game. I think that's going to be a big difference maker for them as well. Last but not least, Arizona. They, even with the injuries they've sustained, they're a more complete team, I think, than the uh, Seahawks. I, I don't know, man. It, I, I don't feel like it's super cut and dry with these games. But – you faded me completely on this, so I'm very interested to see what your rationale is here. I just want to say, you know, Tug picked exactly the same way that you did as well here. So I'm going against everybody's grain. I'm taking the football team. You know, Washington had a great performance out there. I don't believe in Cam Newton. It basically comes down to that. He looked awful all of last year. And what, he came in in a couple of packages last week and scored a touchdown, so now everybody believes in him again. I just don't see it. Uh, Kansas City, they've proven that they can score with the best of them, anybody except for the Buccaneers, right? So if this ends up being a shootout, at some point you just have to trust the guy who won an MVP here. That's not Dak. And I'm going to take Kansas City simply because I, I agree with you. The run game favors Dallas. I don't know how much running there's going to be in this game. There'll <laughs> be a lot of throwing it out, airing the ball out, and uh, Kansas City's pretty good at that. I'm also going to take Seattle. Actually, for the sole reason that they looked so bad last week, I think that is going to drive them, you know, fuel them. They're going to do something about it. They did not play well last week. Russell Wilson was back looked awful that does not happen two weeks in a row when's the last time we've ever seen Russell Wilson put together two back-to-back bad performances I can't name it even going back to Wisconsin NC State days right Russell Wilson is something special I don't see Colt McCoy going toe-to-toe with Russell Wilson I don't care who else is on that offense I'm taking the Seahawks this week. Again, you're probably right more often on these games. I mean, I'm 13 and 17 in the NFL this year. At the same time, I actually think all these are going to be pretty good games. 
I do think there are arguments both directions. So it's rough. I had to go exactly opposite you guys. I I don't know that I trust myself that much. At the same time, why not? Let's just get after it. <laughs> hey, we're doing something wild here. Why not? We did have a bonus game. We kind of talked about it already. Ravens at Bears. Anything else you wanted to mention on this one? You know, the Bears are dealing with a lot of injuries on defense. They've got this monkey on their back about coming out of the bye week. There's just not much else to this Ravens team, and they've been exposed a lot. So, outside of Lamar Jackson, the Ravens are just a team. It's a bunch of dudes, really. The Bears... They've, they've had very well-noted struggles, whether by myself or anybody else, really. It's going to be an interesting game, but I think it's one worth watching, if only for Lamar and Justin Fields. With that, though, what do you say we get into our games to watch, or our players to watch, rather? I was going to say, we already did the games. I'm losing my mind. I can't help it. <laughs> what was Doug's player? Doug's player is Cameron Newton. And I think with good reason, you know, you said it, he was only in a couple packages and he looked great in those packages. He didn't look great with uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots last year. What's he really going to be able to do now? I think the time away from football had an impact on him that nobody really expected there to be. Uh, And I think that's going to, that's worked out to his benefit. So I think we're, likely going to see Cam Newton have a great game. He's got a drive I don't think we've seen from Cam Newton in a while. I think that's going to play a difference here and then add to it, Riverboat Ron's making his return. It's going to be something extra for Cam Newton here. I know Ron Rivera isn't why he left, but at the same time, I think he's going to have a lot of motivation to perform well in this one. I think it's actually a great player to watch even if it's just because, well, it's Cam Newton, right? My player to watch is kind of similar reasoning, though. Dak Prescott's back, baby. He did not look all that great last week, though, I would admit. And want to see how he performs. This Kansas City defense has not been all that good, basically at any level. You know, the defensive line has been very underperforming, and that secondary really just relies on Honey Badger to do everything. That doesn't work against great quarterbacks. But at the same time, based on last week, maybe Dak's too injured right now to be a great quarterback. I have to see how he performs. If he is at full health, this is going to be a very high-scoring affair. No idea who ends up winning that one. I did take the Chiefs, but really it could go either way, right? Kind of who has the ball last. If Dak isn't able to live up to his potential, Kansas City's going to walk away with this one. It's going to be fascinating to watch. So it's quarterback week here on the Big Juice in the Trenches because I'm taking a quarterback as well. And he was on right before me on the uh, NFL carousel this week. Phil Jones was that is. The Raiders' collapse is in full swing. This midseason collapse that we've joked about on this show multiple different times, it's happening right now, right before our eyes. And the fall guy or the guy that has been the fall guy for the past couple of years, John Gruden, he's not there anymore. you got to start looking more at Derek Carr. Make help. Not my words, from Phil Jones himself. 
Maybe it's time to bench Derek Carr. This is going to be a big prove-it game for him. Maybe he can help the Raiders get back on track, avoid this midseason collapse that's just become part of the culture for the Las Vegas Raiders. I really want to see how he responds this week because they're a team that's a little bit in free fall. I know every year it feels like we have low expectations for the Raiders, and they just blow us away for the first couple of games. <laughs> it all comes crashing back exactly where we expected them to be. Probably another top 15 pick in the draft. It's <laughs> every year. It's so predictable. I, You know, the thing that gets me is I don't know why we didn't see it coming a little bit more this year because they lost to the Bears. And right. I don't know. And At the I same just... time, I keep bringing it up, but the Titans lost to the Jets, right? Any given Sunday, it's a real thing. Yeah. Yep, very, very true. That's uh, that's all I got for the NFL, unless you have something else, man. We've got a very excited, exciting bracket time coming up here soon. Hey, shorter than the last couple of weeks, but it's going to be some good conversations. Nonetheless, let's go ahead and dive on in. Whoa, it is bracket time. Whoa. It is bracket with your votes on our Twitter polls. Let's see how today's bracket unfolds. What else could we do? We're right, so inspired as by you. Said, this it takes us all the way down to bracket, bracket time. We are still counting down the greatest Heisman Trophy winner of all time. There were a lot of them. Now there are not as many. So... We're, we're significant ways through this bracket is what I'm trying to get at here. Only a couple of weeks left, honestly. This week had four matchups. We got your help on Twitter and really helped us narrow in on who's going to be moving on to the next round. Let's go ahead and start us off. First matchup of the day, Joe Burrow up against Eddie George. Two Ohio State guys. I know Joe Burrow's quarterback LSU, <laughs> but he has a degree from Ohio State, so I feel like I can claim it a little bit. Who <laughs> um, ended up winning this one on Twitter? It looks like it was Joe Burrow, actually, unanimously. Uh, can you go over to you, Bug? Do you agree with that? So uh, I'm going to correct you there. He did not win it unanimously. He did win it by an overwhelming majority, though. Look, we've said it before, we did the rankings on this based on the percentage of the Heisman vote that they won. Joe Burrow blew everybody out of the water. And we've talked about how Barry Sanders had the best season by running back in NCAA history. Joe Burrow had the best season in NCAA history by a quarterback. I don't think there's any denying that. I don't think there's anything... You can really say to dispute that, honestly. So I would I would want to see Eddie George move on, but I'm going to be honest with you, too. This might just be me being more of an NFL fan, and it absolutely is me being a little bit older, uh, but not quite old enough to remember Eddie George playing in college. I think of Eddie George as an NFL player. Maybe that's just me 
I do agree with Twitter that Joe Burrow should move on, though. That's really interesting to me because I never hear anybody talk about Eddie George getting love for like a NFL Hall of Fame consideration. 10,000 yard rusher for the Houston Oilers and then Tennessee Titans. Pretty incredible career for him there. And but, I'll say this too. The reason is the Titans, the Music City Miracle, mm-hmm. going to that Super Bowl and losing to the greatest show on turf. That's that that whole season between those two teams, based on where I live, Nashville and St. Louis are the closest NFL teams to me. With those two teams playing the way they were and then facing each other in the Super Bowl, I think that has a lot to do with it, of why I think of Eddie George as a NFL guy. Because not only were those two teams doing so great and have a big impact on how I became a real football fan, but Eddie George was on the Titans. And another guy who is in the Hall of Fame, Marshall Falk, was on the Rams. Right. So you had two amazing running backs between those two teams. So, yeah, I, I think of it as a as an NFL guy. And I'm, I'm assuming I'm probably in the minority based on your reaction there. But, man, that's just that's just me personally. So, Yeah, as growing up as an Ohio State fan, Eddie George was always one of my idols. <laughs> I mean, legitimately him. Orlando Pace, uh, Archie Griffin were like the guys that I pretended that I was in the backyard, right? So <laughs> it's it's sad to see Eddie George lose in this bracket. He's losing for a good reason. Joe Burrow had one of the best seasons of any college player ever. And it's there has to be more than that when it comes to time later in the bracket. Eddie George statistically doesn't measure up. It's just he doesn't. And he had a sensational career later. That's not what we're judging here. So Joe Burrow's going to move on. He had the better season. I think that's certainly fair. Let's go ahead and actually we're going to skip this one. The next one was a tie on Twitter. Charles Woodson, Derek Henry. We're going to come back to that one. Uh, next matchup we're going to talk about here, Reggie Bush. That's right. Screw you, Heisman Committee. Running back at USC in 2005. Up against Tony Dorsett, running back out of Pitt in 1976. Now, Twitter went with Reggie Bush, and it's hard for me to disagree. Do you have an argument the other way? Statistically, Tony Dorsett had a better season. So I'm curious why his percentage of the Heisman vote was so much lower. Because Reggie Bush absolutely blows him out of the water there. Reggie Bush had 91.7. Tony Dorsett had 97, or 74.97% of the vote. The only area where Reggie Bush beats Tony Dorsett is yards per carry. He had 8.7 versus Tony Dorsett's 5.8. But Tony Dorsett rushed for 2,150 yards, and Reggie Bush rushed for 1,740 yards. Little bit of disparity there. Tony Dorsett also had four more touchdowns than Reggie Bush, but man, that USC team was sweet. And a lot of the reason they were sweet was Reggie Bush. And I can't say that Pitt wasn't sweet because I, I just don't know. I wasn't alive in 1976, but I don't hear anybody talking about the 1976 Pitt Panthers. I still hear, hear people talking about. 
the USC Trojans from 2004, 2005, 2006. I will say that 76 pit team went 12-0, finished first in the AP poll. So that Sugar Bowl win, it's technically a national championship for them. And I like Tony Dorsett, right? It's hard not to. That season is fantastic. Here's my argument for Reggie Bush. <laughs> he feels he feels like more more dominant player, and I know that's weird when we're looking at these statistics. Reggie Bush was a guy that you were terrified to play, and that Pitt Panthers team it was they had a decent quarterback. I mean Matt Leinart, sure you can make the argument that he's somebody you have to game plan around as well. He won a Heisman Trophy for the reason of being a quarterback. Reggie Bush won a Heisman Trophy because he led two consecutive incredible USC teams, right? There's there's a difference here. And I know we just talked about how we got to look at Joe Burrow's stats, and then it feels like we're discounting the stats here for Tony Dorsett. Man, I, I, I think it's so much more than that. Reggie Bush feels like a more... Uh, I don't. I don't even know the right word for it. Dominant's not the right word, but I, I think it is presence. I think it is though, because the one stat aside from Heisman voting that Reggie Bush beats Tony Dorsett in is yards per carry, and it's almost by three whole yards, two point nine. Right. So, I think you have to look at his dominance, his command of the game, and how much more terrifying, better almost he was per play than Tony Dorsett was. I think that's, that honestly, I think is probably where I think everybody went when picking Reggie Bush. I don't think too much of it was the the recency bias because I think Dorsett has a very recognizable name as well. Man, I I definitely think it's the right call to move on Reggie Bush. Certainly didn't pick him for his Wendy's commercials, but Reggie Bush is moving on here <laughs> in the Eisen Trophy bracket. Let's go ahead and jump down to Frank Sankwich, running back for Georgia in 1942, up against Lamar Jackson, quarterback for Louisville 2016. Twitter, this one was unanimous, right? Lamar Jackson took this one. Mm-hmm. It does feel like the end of the road for Frank Sankwich. Unless you got a great argument for him here. What do you got? You know, I don't. And we talk about stats mattering. The nice thing here is that Frank Sinkwich looked like a complete player, looked actually kind of comparable to Lamar Jackson, uh, except for the matter that Lamar Jackson tripled what Frank Sinkwich did. (laughs) Right. uh, You know, pretty much uh, in passing yards, rushing yards. The only thing he didn't triple was INTs. He only threw one more interception, 10, as opposed to Sinkwinch's nine. And, uh, yeah, doubled his touchdowns. I mean, they're just about doubled his touchdowns. I don't know, man. It's it's pretty cut and dry that Lamar Jackson is the better player. But you got to tip your cap to Frank Sinkwinch. To be able to put up the numbers he did in 1942, that's incredible. And then to Absolutely. join the Marines in the middle right. of World War II. Right. Accepting his Heisman Trophy winner in his dress blues. Man, power move. Oh, that's two 
great war heroes that Lamar Jackson has beaten in this bracket now. But at the same time, I do think it's justified. He was just something different. I mean, we talked about Tim Tebow and the impact he had on the game. Lamar Jackson shaped it even more than that, right? He has been one of the models that people look for in a quarterback anymore, and that really wasn't the case. Even going back to Mike Vick, nobody tried to really replicate him. They all thought it was impossible. Lamar Jackson came and did even better. So just truly an incredible season for him. He will be going up against Reggie Bush the next time that we see these guys, but we have one more matchup today. <laughs> this one was a tie on Twitter, uh, probably for a good reason, man. This is going to be a tough one. We got Charles Woodson, the primarily cornerback for the team up north in 1997, up against Derrick Henry, running back Alabama 2015. Oof, what a matchup. <laughs> I think it's definitely easier to say that Derrick Henry had a more dominant season, especially in the statistical categories and scoring, right? Easy to say because he's an offensive player going up against a guy who played defense. I've seen the argument made that Charles Woodson only won the Heisman because he played a little bit of offense because he had that return game uh, in his repertoire. I don't know that I completely agree with that, though. I think what he was able to do on defense was absolutely worthy of winning the Heisman. However, part of the reason we don't see many defensive players win the Heisman is because when you start comparing offensive and defensive stats, it's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to quantify and justify why this guy's defensive stats are better than this guy's offensive stats. And that's really where we're stuck right now, too. And I think that's how we ended up in this spot on Twitter as well. One big argument I would like to make is that you do have to consider who they beat when they did win Eisman. You look at this list for Charles Woodson. He beat out Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, top two picks in the draft. Beat out Randy Moss. Beat out Ricky Williams. I mean, Tim Couch ended up going number one overall in the next year. So, I mean, this is, this is quite the list of players here for Charles Woodson to end up beating out. I know seven interceptions. It's like, man, that doesn't feel like dominant necessarily. Something you have to consider for defensive backs, and one of the hardest things you to really realize when you're looking at stats, you know, sometimes interceptions don't tell you everything. Sometimes quarterbacks don't throw your way when you're too good, right? So seven interceptions, yeah, he did that on like, 20 targets all year that's (laughs) that changes the story a bit people just didn't throw his way people tried not to kick his way and he still had all his return yards people tried to cover him with their best corner and he still got receiving yards charles woodson was an all-around monster and it's really painful to say that because he went to the wrong school so (laughs) (laughs) please Please argue for Derek Henry for a minute. Let me get regain some sanity. <laughs> Man, I, I want to. Here's the problem, though. We had seen a freshman, Johnny Manzo, right, win the Heisman. We'd seen a sophomore, 
Tim Tebow win the Heisman. I, I kind of have this feeling that those only happen so I can say, see, we did it. We really don't care about what class everybody's in. We did it. We, we had a freshman win. We had a sophomore win. Well, when Derrick Henry won second place, second and third place were sophomores, Christian Caffrey and Deshaun Watson, respectively. And I do think that that played more of a factor in them not winning and Derrick Henry winning than they want to admit. Because fourth place was Baker Mayfield. And this is a predominant, this award predominantly goes to quarterbacks. How is Baker Mayfield not winning this? The first senior we have is Keenan Reynolds out of Navy. And you know my feelings on this. He should have at least been in the top four, in my opinion. Right. He was never going to win, though. But he was never going to win. The next guy is another sophomore, Leonard Fournette. Then another sophomore, Dalvin Cook. Then you finally get another junior, Derek or Ezekiel Elliott, Connor Cook, and Trayvon Boykin, seniors, quarterbacks, rounding out the top ten. And, man, if you gave Ezekiel Elliott an extra 100 carries like you gave Derek Henry, you would have had better stats, looks like. Right. It's it's tough to – I know you want there to be some defense for Derrick Henry because Charles Woodson is a Michigan player. She had I'm, a great I'm season. I'm saying that kind of in jest. Charles I mean, Woodson's a fantastic player, and yeah. we all know it, right? There's a reason he's moved on this far. There's a reason he won the Heisman Trophy. There's a reason he was getting votes on Twitter. Truly sensational. No matter what the stats tell you, the stats aren't the whole picture. This guy was – Something special. Derrick Henry really was, too, at the same time. The same thing what you were saying with Eddie George. Derrick Henry is building his legacy more in the NFL. His legend is growing more on the Titans than it ever did in college. Yeah, I was scared of him when we played him in the national championship, right? So I would be scared of him now. If we found him in the Super Bowl, that'd be... Who ever said anything about Derrick Henry baptizing anybody while he was playing at the University of Alabama? Nobody. That stiff arm has become his bread and butter, has become his trademark as a member of the Tennessee Titans playing in the NFL. I think we have to move on, Charles Woodson. What do you say? I, I think you're right, and... I think this is more difficult than we made it out to be. I think Twitter is absolutely right that this is a pretty split affair here, but man, <laughs> there. I think there is definitely a divide here that when you really start to look at it and really start to analyze it, I do think Charles Woodson breaks away from the pack a little bit. I am curious to see how that's going to work out for him next week though, or I guess in two weeks. Well, we have one half of our not elite eight. Very, very tough. Uh, next week, we're going to see some even more crazy matchups. I mean, goodness. Marcus Mariota against Tim Debo. Already wild. Stay tuned next week. We're going to get even more into bracket time. And I just cannot wait to get your help on Twitter deciding these things. Really helped us out this week quite a bit. Only tie we had. We settled, but it didn't sit right. So we need your help. Go vote on Twitter at BDT Football. Please help us avoid the ties. That's all we really want. I do not want any more coin flips. Last week was just brutal. And with that, I do think that's all the time we have for this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
been another great episode of the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. And, man, we got some fantastic games coming up this weekend. I'm so excited to be going to a game this weekend. Feels like a long time. Feels like way too long since I've actually been to a college football game. I just, I love college football, man. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. I'm looking forward to a fun atmosphere in Lubbock this week. And, you know, it's been it's been a while since I've been to a college football game as well. No, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. So all of our links will be in the description, but go ahead and list them off for you here as well. You can find us basically anywhere you look at BDT Football. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. There's an underscore in there, underscore football. Uh, bdtfootball.com, mailbox at bdtfootball.com. Email us that way. All Don't sorts of places. Patreon. Oh, yeah. I have not forgotten our Patreon. Patreon.com slash bdtfootball, where you can find all sorts of stuff. Get access to our Discord server. You can you know, hang out and check out the big dudes in the trenches ratings. All sorts of great perks there. Go check us out. All those links are in the description. Yeah, man, I am uh, very excited for what we got coming down the pipe, though. All right, we're recording this on Thursday. You'll be hearing it on Saturday. The next time you hear from us will be Wednesday of next week. We have the biggest interview we've ever had. We're going to be talking to a Heisman Trophy winner himself, a man who was eliminated by Reggie Bush in our bracket here. That's all the clues we're going to give you, though. Gonna have to wait and see who it is. <laughs> man, this is going to be awesome. I cannot wait, dude. I'm, I'm very excited we got to land this interview. And, yeah, you're going to hear it next week. Woo! Tell your friends. Bring some popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, got a dad joke for you. Gave you my Snapple fact earlier in the week. This time, it's dad joke time. How many telemarketers does it take to change a light bulb? You gotta tell me. Only one, but he has to do it while you're eating dinner. Food. And uh, I think it's catchphrase time. Uh, we Tug, got, to... Tug got mad at us last night for not doing his catchphrase. But I still don't want to do it. So, <laughs> peace out, Girl Scout. <laughs> <laughs>